And so I want to also mention that uh, I've, um, I have a few copies of this book in the back, That Jesus Be Preeminent, which I've written, and they're free. And if anybody wants to get any, any time that you're here, we try to keep a half a dozen back there. These are absolutely available, and if you want to hand them out to people, you can. Uh, they're on Amazon for $6.95. That's the price of a quarter-pounder meal at McDonald's. And so um, I think by comparison, I hope this would be good for you. And so, um, but anyway, um, I just want to make sure everybody knows that every week those are back there and they can be taken free. This week, we're picking up where we started last week. We're going to have, a, this is a three-part series on Jesus makes all things new. Jesus makes all things new. And last week, we put a big emphasis on once you become in Christ, one of the giant things that he makes new is your righteousness. And this is something that the enemy attacks all the time. And all through life, we actually, until we meet Jesus, we are guilty. And furthermore, we feel guilty. And if we walk around and think about guilt, we get very discouraged, so mostly we don't. And one of our best protections on that is to look at somebody else that's worse than us. At least that's what we think. So we look at someone else and say, I'm better than that person is. And so that makes me feel less guilty, and then we don't think about it anymore. But when we come in Christ, he imputes his righteousness to us. It says in the scripture that God made him sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, he made Jesus to be sin so we might become the righteousness of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he made, him, he made Jesus to be unto us righteousness so that we received a given righteousness from God. And we talked about that, so I'm not going to give that all over again, but how important that is because the frequent attack of the enemy is to make us feel guilty and to make us feel, I mean, I'm taking care this week, Helen, I, not I, Helen, I'm helping a little bit, taking care of our grandson who's 18 months old. And it's fair to say right now, we've had seven days of taking care of him. If you saw Helen, you would probably characterize her as running on fumes. That would be the way I would describe it right now. Um, Sunday night, she may sleep 14 hours. It's entirely possible. That's when we hand him back. You know, but she may sleep 14 hours just in recovery. But when you're raising children, the enemy is always there going, you could be a better parent. Your child would have turned out better if you had been this. If you had been more alert, more creative, giving of more of your time, the enemy will always come in to accuse. And that's why it says in Revelation 12.10, he is the accuser of the brethren, standing before God day and night to accuse us. And he accuses us. And he comes in and points out shortcomings. And it's extremely important that we grab hold that Jesus was made unto us righteousness. It's not our works. It's Jesus who was made unto us righteousness. And then we talked about futility and despair. And futility and despair are horrible things. They take us down. Uh, you want to look at something very discouraging, look at the suicide rate in the United States among young people. It'll tear you apart. I can give you other data that will actually tear you apart on how many people have got to turn to very serious, in, with very serious problems with depression. They've got to turn to anything they can to get, try to get some relief. Um, the drug sales on depression are out of sight, on anxiety are out of sight. We talk about in a materialistic society that we're providing things that move our society forward, 
But there is nothing that moves our society forward except Jesus. I'm always, I'm always love the part of the scripture we're going to read it this morning that says Jesus holds all things together. At one point in my life, I thought I held a lot of things together. But the older you get, I think you understand you're holding fewer and fewer things together. At least that's been my experience. That what you thought you were holding together, you only had little pieces of it. And so we put a big emphasis on perspective last week to talk about it's when we look a lot of times at circumstances and try to explain circumstances and how this can happen. That's when we begin to go, Lord, I don't see how it can work out. But in Psalm 73, it says, When I entered the sanctuary of the Lord, that is when I saw the fate of the wicked. That's when I saw all these circumstances that looked one way actually don't work out that way. That God's bigger. He's in control. That the end of the wicked is sudden. And the end of the wicked is destruction. But you couldn't see it. The psalmist couldn't see it until he entered the sanctuary of God. And it's in that sanctuary of God, when we're under the wings of the Most High, when He covers us with His feathers, that's when there's an enlightenment about the things of God. Uh, there's a, a great clip on YouTube. I know I'm sharing a lot of YouTube clips, but I've wandered into some good ones. and um, two, I'm going to share two of them real quick. And one of them was a guy who was having a hard time in life and was out on drugs and was strung out and it was just a really bad situation, and he didn't have anywhere to go, and he was about to take his life, and he got down on his knees, and he called out to God, and he just said, God, if you can just do anything, I don't know if you exist, but if you can just do anything, then touch me now because I'm at the end. And he fell down, and the Lord took him into a vision or something like that, and in the vision, the Lord was there, and he could see the Lord coming towards him, and he could see the marks in his hands, and that he had, that it was the Lord. He knew it was Jesus. And Jesus kept coming closer and got right next to him, and then instead of keeping his personal space, you all know what I mean by that, staying a foot and a half away, nose to nose, instead of doing that, Jesus kept coming, and he just entered right into his mind. And the guy shared, he said, all of a sudden, for just about 30 seconds, I could see the mind of Christ. I was in Christ's mind, and he showed me the new creation. And the guy just went on and on, and he, he said words. It's fun to hear him describe it, because he, he runs out of superlatives. And he goes, the new creation is perfect. There is no evil. There is no problems. Everything that's discouraging is gone. Everything that's painful is gone, and you can't imagine the beauty. The be it's, there's not even words. And then he goes on to say in four or five more sentences, there's not even words. There's not even words. There's not even words. He just keeps repeating it, going, you just can't believe what is prepared for us. Uh, this is, it's just great. And then he stepped back out. And needless to say, he met the Lord. It changed his life, and he became one whale of an evangelist, which you would have to, wouldn't you, after you had that experience? And, but what was so neat about that was he was totally at the end of his rope. God came and just changed everything for him. But the part that I liked was how he described the new creation. Because we tend to look at things from a human perspective and say, well, I'm here for 80 or 90, or in Don's case, 107, 108 years, you know, and, you know, this is, seems to be a good long time, and I want things to really work out here. But this is a very short time. 
We're, this whole earth, everything is just going to be here for a very short time. And the Bible says that in the beginning, the Bible says that the, from the foundation of the world, that God knew there were to be two creations. There was to be the creation that would be the time we are here now, where we can choose and follow the Lord. But after that, just like we sang the song, there is an end to this creation. And when he says, behold, I make all things new, he says he destroys the old heaven and earth, and he makes a new heaven and earth. And, and the scripture in the, in the Hebrew, there isn't one word for the universe. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Hebrew doesn't have a word for universe. So the heaven and earth is everything. So in the beginning, God created everything. And this creation is going to stop. And then there's going to be a new creation that is everything. And that creation is eternal. And we are not of the Jerusalem which is below, but we are of the Jerusalem which is above. And that is our home. And that is why inside we all feel like we're wandering a bit. We're not at home. But we will be at home. And that, that creation is eternal. So for a short time, a hundred years or so, we're here. For then it's eternal. I'm going to meet Fran six million years into heaven going, Fran, do you remember the earth? And she goes, faintly, faintly. I remember we had 80 or 90 years back there. But that's not what's on my mind anymore, and it won't be on our mind. And Paul mentioned this over and over, where he says that the glory that's to be revealed makes every difficulty that happens here so small. But I have difficulties. In the last two weeks, I've had some trouble with reflux. Well, reflux hurts. Anybody here ever had trouble with reflux? Yeah, a few people. Reflux hurts. You can't look at somebody that's having trouble with reflux and say, stop thinking about that, go and do your thing. It hurts you got to fix it. Uh, if I talked to Helen while she was in labor and said, Honey, I've got some ideas for some things we need to be doing, she would say, Would you please be quiet? I am um, attending to some very important business, but she would do that in different words. <laughs> do you see? There are times that you have to, you're attending to what goes on. And it's real, and that's right, but it is transient. This whole life is the preparation. God has set it up so evil cannot triumph in this life. And in the new creation, Satan is not there. He is in the lake of fire with his angels. He is no longer available. So the other thing that it, I think I want to mention, so we talked about the importance of righteousness, the importance of not despairing but recognizing we look at things generally according to circumstances, but God looks at things so much higher than the way we perceive circumstances. He looks at it so much higher. So the thing I want to start focusing on today, I want to first read in Colossians 3, 9 through 20. Colossians 3, 9 through 20. Now that's 11 verses, so that's the long one for me. Okay, Colossians 3, 9 through 20. And I think this section of verses is something worth reading at least once a month. It's just such a good section. And Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. <coughs> Excuse me. That's verse 9 through 12. <coughs> Before I read the rest of it, I want to notice it says, we're praying for you that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you look to please Him in all respects. And it's such an important thing that that is the goal. Lord, what would you have to be done? And when we please the Lord, there is blessing that automatically comes in our life because the ultimate blessing is Jesus. He is the treasure in the middle of the field. He is the blessing. In Ephesians 1.3, it says all the blessings of God are in Christ. All the blessings. And when we seek to please Him in all respects, we do bear fruit in every good work, and we increase in the knowledge of God. And he said, in doing this, you will be strengthened with all power that comes from His glorious might. So Jesus empowers us with His glorious might when we're seeking to do the thing He wants us to do. He empowers. For the attaining of steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Joyously. I, I love people that have the joy of the Lord because they have the Lord. And things come along, and they're just things. My grandfather one time, was he was a minister, and he was helping to get something going at church. And so uh, Pastor Miguel might get a kick out of this. I don't know, but he, he had a big Sunday night thing, and for some reason, they were supposed to bring the soup. And he had something. I, I wasn't there, but the way it looks to me, it was, sounds like about eight gallons of soup and a giant thing. And he was all dressed up in his Sunday suit and everything because he had to preach that night. And um, so they were picking it up off of the stove and they were going to walk it right over to the church. And he picked it up and rounded the corner in the kitchen and slipped. And some 10 gallons of soup just fell all over his body. It was hot soup. I am dead sure it was flavored with something. Okay, let's just say chicken noodle. But it was something. And all of that was all over your suit. Now you're laying flat on your back on the floor. All that soup's on top of you. You have several options. Some of the options we won't talk about from the podium. Okay. But one of the options you're very unlikely to do is to laugh. That's something that would really require a special person to be able to laugh. But the story is that my grandfather laughed. Because it's just soup. It's just a suit. It's just a second-degree burn. We'll get through this. Uh, oftentimes at work, when I, I end up working with people on something, one of the last things I want to tell them is, we're going to get through this. We're going to push through this. We have this problem. Don't see a good solution right now, but we're going to push through it. We'll get there. And it's amazing how it lights people's face because many people look at the circumstances of the problem and go, we're going to be defeated. We're going to lose. We're going to be defeated. That's the way they see things. And without Christ, they're not wrong. But with, it, with Christ, they are wrong. But can you imagine someone who could spill soup and get up and laugh and say, well, just get on a new coat. We'll deal with this later. It's going to work out. 
The Lord makes things work out. I, I love to say in Romans 8, 28, where it says, For all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, called according to his purpose. It's enough of a miracle, Gary, that he can make all things work together. You know, if you asked me to make things work together, I'd say about a third of the things that I work on work together. But God makes all things work together and then makes them work together for good. He's just an amazing God. So in verse 13, it says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. And then th these are some of my favorites, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You cannot read that section without recognizing that God put Jesus in the absolute first place. But it was Jesus that created all things. You'll notice in the world people like to use the word God rather than Jesus. The word, Je just saying the name Jesus, there is something in that name, just saying the name Jesus. God can kind of apply to all sorts of kinds of gods. But once you say Jesus, you have come right to the Son of God. Um, on the, on uh, the church side, on Barcliffe Methodist Church, right above the play yard, they had a great sign that said, Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. And it's over the play yard where the kids play. I love that thing. But just when you see anything that says Jesus said, just the name Jesus changes it. And God exalted him. He put everything together from the beginning, and he holds all things together now. So when he is talking about being actively involved, the one big thing that we want to change that's new when we come into Christ is that we see Jesus as faithful. We see Jesus as faithful. Jesus is not a question mark like he was before we became a Christian, but now he is altogether faithful. He did what was needed for me to come to God, and now he does everything needful and everything uh, pertaining to blessing for me. Jesus handles all of that stuff. So I want to read through uh, seven or eight verses that are very important verses to talk about how faithful he is. And one of the reasons I want to emphasize this so much is the attack of the enemy is, even after you become a Christian, God can only be partially trusted. He cannot be fully trusted. Now, I'm looking at everybody in this room. I think I can honestly say I would be willing to give the key to my house to anybody in this room and just say, go over there, go in the kitchen, get what you need to eat, there's not a lot there, but you can have whatever we have. That would be a pretty big step of faith, giving the key, your key to your house 
over there. There's nothing really valuable in my house. It's not that big a step of faith, but you understand the concept. Well, the Bible says that God can be altogether trusted. And once we enter that place where we say He is completely trustworthy, completely trustworthy, not He shows up sometimes, and sometimes you're on your own. Because that's what the enemy pushes. He comes and says, oh yeah, there are good services at Skyland. We have good things happening. This stuff can be a real blessing. But then there's also the real world, where you're at work, or where you're standing in line, or where people on La Vista Road are cutting in front of you at breakneck speeds. That's the real world. And see, God's kind of at church. He, the enemy is a huge effort in sequestering God to restricted places. And God is at a huge effort to say, I am life. I am all these places. I will be with you always, wherever you go. And that's what he's saying. I will never leave you, it says in Hebrews 13. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the first one is 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you but is common to man. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will provide a means of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that says, that says there is no temptation that the enemy brings on us that God has not got us prepared for. Now, sometimes when we're looking at the temptation and we don't feel prepared. Okay, I've seen a temptation come on me going, whoa, I don't know if I can handle this. Um, one of the things that God has worked on me a lot, and I've mentioned this before, is not giving the juicy details before we pray for somebody. So Pastor Miguel is here, so I'll use him as an example because he has to stay. But, um, but, you know, to say, well, you know, I saw Pastor Miguel opening the church the other day, and he went in, and he came out, and it was early. It was about 8.30. But he went in, and he came out with this woman. I'd never seen this woman before, and she was attractive, and she was talking to him, and who knows what was going on in there early in the morning. Now, I'm not one to spread rumors, but I just spread the rumor. Do you see? And what we tend to do, even when we're praying for someone saying, you know, they're having a rough time. Well, you know they're having a rough time. They've had this bad thing happen, and they really showed poor judgment here, and now they're in a rough situation, and this isn't going to work out, and they're asking people for money, but this is the third time they've asked for money. So pray for John Smith. Do you see? We just took Don Smith and threw him under the, under the bus and dragged him through the gutter and then salvaged our Christian witness by saying, so let's pray for him. And God is saying, your heart isn't in the right place. You don't have to share anything except John Smith is having a rough time. Let's get together and pray for him. All the rest is from the enemy. All the rest is from the enemy. Well, I'm speaking this, and yet... This is not something, this is a working place in my life. I, I, you know, we have this thing at work, y'all have phrases like this at work, I'm sure, that say, uh, nothing is impossible to the person who doesn't have to do the work. You know, or um, lack of planning on your part does not justify an emergency on my part. 
Somebody has something on their desk for three weeks. It's got a three-week and two-day due date. They send it to you one day before you're supposed to send it in, and you have four days of work to do on it. The first thing that pops in your mind is not to say thank you. Do you know what I mean? But the first thing that should pop into my mind is, Lord, help that person and let me be somebody who helps that person. But I'm here to testify to you that when that person walks out of my office, one of the first things I do is go talk to a friend of mine and say, can you believe this has happened? And do you know why I do that? Because I want them to give me sympathy. And I want people to know I'm pushing the extra mile in a difficult place. It has to be it. What other reason is there? But Jesus was never like that. Jesus took people who were killing him and prayed for them. And he's asking for people who put us in distressing situations for us to get underneath and pray for them without describing the lurid details to our friends. Are you with me? And that's what he's saying. And the scripture says that he, no temptation, no difficulty, no extra piece of work, no snowstorm, no traffic congestion, no anything, no people arriving and bringing five times more people than they thought was coming and opening up with the phrase, I hope this isn't an inconvenience. Well, it's not an inconvenience. Just go get your own food and stay at a hotel, you know. But these things happen in life. But God says, the Scripture says, no temptation can come your way except God prepares you. So instead of seeing the temptation and go, I haven't got it, you go, whoa, there must be more in me than I thought. Because God is faithful and won't let the temptation come that I can't take. Such an important Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.13, I love this one. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And the enemy will come in and say, well, Celia, sure, I mean, God will be faithful to you, but of course it's predicated on how well you've done in the last three weeks. How has your Christian life really gone in the last three weeks? You can't expect God to be faithful if you're only ranking a C- minus in your Christian life. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. His faithfulness is there even when we are not faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13. Philippians 4.13 is a common verse and should be a common verse. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things, not half the things, but all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I love this one in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound pretty amazing? I have a, a, um, a good friend, and she prayed over all of her daughters. I'm trying to remember, I think she had six daughters. And she prayed for every daughter, every night, this prayer for their whole lives. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every child, every night, their whole life. That was her prayer for them. Every child. Wonderful. Well, I love that verse, but the, second, the next verse to me is even my more favorite verse. And that is, faithful is he who calls you. And he also will bring it to pass. 
God is faithful and he will bring it to pass. So when I used to read this verse, I would say, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say, good, I want God to do that for me. I want all that to happen. But that next verse says, faithful is he that calls you and he will surely do it. He will bring it to pass. That is, God will sanctify us thoroughly, spirit, soul, and body. He will bring it to pass. You know, when Jesus talked to Peter, he said, and on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, on this rock, you will build my church. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. The Bible says that um, when Paul is explaining this, he says, he said, I, Apollos watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, he said he sowed the seed in the ground. He went to bed and he went to sleep and the seed grew. He knew not how. He knew not how. And that's true of God. We do the things God moves. The Holy Spirit moves. We don't understand how God grows a church. We don't understand how all these things happen. That's fine. We want to be involved with things we don't understand because they're bigger and better than we are. And God is absolutely bigger and better. And he says here that he will sanctify you and he will bring it to pass. And then in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is faithful. Hebrews 13, 5, he says, he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. There's a spirit that comes from the enemy that just says, you have been forsaken. God is over here, and you are over here. God has left you. It's a spirit from the enemy that absolutely says that. You are not next to God. Um, in the last three years, I've developed a habit just to get up and to thank Jesus for standing next to my bed all night. Because I need to visually see him right there next to my bed all night. Now, I know he lives within me, but I just can't get my eyes into the within, you know. But I just have him stand next to my bed, and I thank him that he was there with me all night. And the first person I talk to in the morning is Jesus to say thank you. In Psalm 100, it says to enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise and bless his name. And it's almost, does it really matter where you are in life? If you will stop and thank him and praise him and bless his name, it'll change you in 10 minutes. It'll change you in 10 minutes because you go from the dimension of looking at circumstance to the dimension of being with the Father. And that changes everything. It always changes everything. And you go, wait, I don't mind praising and thanking and doing all that, but I have a problem, and it needs attention. And we've got to get this addressed, and we need to talk about it and do that. But do you know, the Bible says when you enter into his courts, when you come into his courts, when you enter his gates, there should be thanksgiving and praise and blessing his name. He knows the problem. We have this unusual feeling that we explain problems to God. And when Jesus taught us to pray, one of the first things he said was, before he taught us to pray, he says, before you pray, your father already knows what you need. Therefore, pray like this. And one of the reasons that he said that is we would start our prayers with, Jesus, I have my list. 
Here are my 42 needs. And on my second page, I have the needs of my daughter. And on the third page are the needs of my son. And then on the fourth page are the needs of this. We, we're going to take a while here, Jesus. I just want to make sure you've got these itemized. I have them in Word, and I can provide them in Excel if it would be helpful. And that's the way we approach God. Make sure you're... I know you've got a lot of things going, but don't forget my list. That's the way we approach Him. But the Scripture says don't approach Him that way. You just come before Him and glorify Him. When Jehoshaphat's army went out to do battle... The natural man would say, make sure everybody's well-equipped, knows how to use swords and spears and shields, knows how to arrange themselves in the field, because listen, you're outnumbered 10 to 1, and they're going to come on you like white on rice. And you better get ready. And that would be the practical knowledge of man. But what did God say? Send the singers and the worshipers out front with no weapons. And have them glorify me. And then what happened? The enemy destroyed himself. Every man turned on himself amongst the enemy and killed themselves. I mean, it's really, really difficult to think about because it had to come down to two and they had to kill each other at the same time because it says they killed them all. And that's what happens in our life. We have situations that are ten times worse than we can handle. And they're descending on us. And our feelings are feelings of being overwhelmed. I was listening to John Ware when he was first sharing about the cancer and seeking the Lord about, Lord, what's going on here? And I remember listening to John share about it. And the first time he got down to seek the Lord, he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And he walked away without really feeling like he had nailed it down. He knew he had prayed, but he didn't feel like he had nailed down what was really going on here. Why is I, am I having throat cancer? Why, why, why? And, and John went through some other things. He's got a great testimony on this. But often we come to the Lord that way where we're saying to the Lord, now listen to this, this is important. We're saying to the Lord, okay, this is happening, and I can go with this happening under one condition. There has to be a decent explanation within a reasonable period of time. Have you got me? Now, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, but you have to understand there needs to be a decent, doesn't have to be perfect. I can suffer a little. I'm not saying skip me from having any trouble. Just a decent explanation and in a reasonable period of time. I can't be waiting five years. If you got me, I need to have it in a reasonable period of time. And we would say to Jesus, I think I'm being fairly giving here. We talk like it's a contract. I think I'm giving some, and I kind of expect you to give a little bit here. It's not that you've got to tell me everything. I'm okay with one or even two angels coming and discussing it with me. That would be fine. But I need a decent explanation in a reasonable period of time. I want to let you know God is bigger and better than decent explanations in reasonable periods of time. He's doing things we don't see or perceive and yet we constantly require Him to come underneath our knowledge and understanding. And when we require God to come underneath our knowledge and understanding, what we are saying is, my hope and my peace is in my knowledge and understanding. Which is saying, I exalt my knowledge and understanding above God. Now that is an idol. 
And God had definitive things to say about idols. But you might say, that's not an idol. I don't worship that. Oh, you don't? Think about the way you live. When your knowledge and understanding isn't handling the problem, it has to be fixed. And we call out to God and say in as many words, God, you are dropping your end of the deal because I do not understand the reason or the timing for what's going on in my life. Now, God would laugh except he loves us so much. But we only understand the smallest part. But we are so pumped up that we are smart. We are not smart. The Bible says now we know in part. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. That's what the scripture says. We only know in part. Now you imagine that you had a child that was in second grade. So what is Wren, Margie, is she in sec second grade? First grade. Well, she's smart. So you can think about Wren. But imagine they're learning addition. So they've worked up addition and two plus two is four and all this and They've gotten up, and you've got a kid that's really bright, and they can go up to like 15 plus 17. You know, that's even hard for some people in this room. But, you know, they can do 15 and 17, and they can add that together. But above 50, they're not so good. But up to 50, they're actually pretty good. And so they walk into the room and go, you know, I've got this addition thing down. Listen to this, 6 plus 18, 24. Uh, 13 plus uh, 21, 34. You know, and they've got it down. You hear that? That's really good. And then they say to you, okay, well, what are you doing at work? Well, we're working on Lagrangian multipliers and multivariate calculus. Okay, well, that sounds interesting. Explain that to me. Well, I can't quite put it in terms of um, addition. Oh, I'm sure you can. I'm very, very good at addition. You don't know how good I am at addition. Watch this again, 7 plus 18, 25. See how fast I am? So you just take... Lagrangian multipliers and multivariate calculus and explain it to me in terms of addition. Well, I would love to explain it to you, but it just can't be done. Yeah, I don't even think you're working with Lagrangian multipliers and multivariate calculus because I'm bright and you're not, you're not able to explain it to me and I'm bright. Now, from where we're standing, we would go, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, they're just adding. That's all they're doing. From where God's standing, he could call us ridiculous, but he loves us too much. But his ways... And his thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, it says in Isaiah 55. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see this because we are going to know even as we are known, the Scripture says. And we'll see it and we'll go, oh, why didn't we just trust God? His ways were higher and better. And that's what we're going to say. Well, now we get the chance to do it. But we constantly require God to come underneath our knowledge and understanding. So we exalt knowledge and understanding is higher than God. Now, I, I'm as much speaking to anybody, I'm speaking to me. Because when things happen in my life, I, I, I share dumb things to y'all. I'm afraid some people are going to go, whoever would listen to this guy? Because he shares so many stupid examples in his life. But, but John, do you want to share one? Yes, go ahead. Speak on it. Can you stand up and turn around? Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. So, so this is, last night I was, I had, you know, we've been having this week keeping the kids, so I'm not, I'm not fumes, but I've got eight times more energy than Helen. But nonetheless, I was trying to finish up making sure I had everything right last night, and I went upstairs into this little room where I have a little desk. And um, uh, Stephen can testify to this. 
and we have a smoke alarm up there, and started beeping. Not the beep like, run out, there's a fire, but the beep like the battery's low, that beep. So I said, okay, you know, this is going to be an inconvenience, but I'll go get a battery, I'll put it in. So I got a new battery, put it in, didn't change a thing. Well, um, again, I'm going to say this to uh, Pastor Miguel. My first thought was, I don't have time for this. And of course, the Lord always comes back to me and says, you don't have time for anything. Fortunately, you gave me all your time, so I'm in charge of your time. We're very funny people. I'm a very funny person because I give the Lord all my time, and then when something happens I don't want to happen, I complain to the Lord. And he goes, well, did you give it to me or not? I gave it to you, but there were strings attached. That means you get it, but I keep it. Are you familiar with that kind of giving? Do you see? I, I had some things. I was, uh, you know, this week the stock market took a really up and then it took a real down. Well, when it did the really up, I went, oh, this is really good. And when it went the real down, I went, Lord, what's going on? He goes, it's my money. You gave it to me. I said, yeah, I gave it to you, but, you know, we got to make sure it's going the right way here because I still have my hands on it. So <clears throat> I was with that beep, and so I said, well, I think I'm going to pray for this thing. So I prayed for the thing. I said, I'm just going to pray. Who knows? The Lord may just, this may be like Jonathan. Let's go up and see what the Lord will do, you know. And so I said, let's, so I prayed for this thing. It kept beeping. So I said, doggone it. So I shut my door, but it was right outside the door. And I couldn't get that thing to stop beeping. I never did get it to stop beeping. I had to work, whatever, a couple hours on this thing and on this talk, and it was just beeping. And this, it's that terrible beep that has that obnoxious frequency sound, like, eh, eh. It was that kind of beep. Not ding, ding, but eh. You know, that ugly one. But worse comes to worse. Since we're keeping the little kid, Helen is keeping the kid in our bedroom, which means I was kicked out of our bedroom because I had to go find another place to sleep. And that thing went that way all night. That thing is going right now. I have got to go home and fix it this afternoon. I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. Of course, I got on the Internet, looked up the brand and the things it suggested. There weren't any short-term solutions. I may have to cut a wire, you know, but I'm going to have to do something. Well, why? what is that? I don't know, but I will tell you something. It's a little thing. It's a crow on that hawk. It's just a little thing. Because everything when you're with Jesus is a little thing because Jesus is so big. And when we walk that way, other people look at us and go, why doesn't that frustrate you? Because of who I'm walking with. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep me against that day. Not I know what I have believed. I would say 70% of Christians are caught up in what they believe rather than whom they believe. But when you get to the whom, you recognize that the whom is truth. John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, the life. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30, it said, He was made unto us wisdom. That Jesus is a higher wisdom than the world knows. There's a worldly wisdom. And there's a godly wisdom, and it's spiritually discerned, but it's frustrating to the worldly man because the worldly man cannot understand it, but it's there nonetheless, and Jesus is that truth. He is that wisdom. So when we talk about he's faithful, one of the hardest things for us before we become Christians is 
we're totally interpreting circumstances. But once we become a Christian, whatever happens in our life, we should be looking at Jesus' face first and the circumstances second. Jesus' face first. Just like when you're a child. When I was a child walking along with my dad, it didn't mind what came in front of me because it was my dad's responsibility to handle it. Not my responsibility. I'm five years old. My dad handles what comes in front of me that's troublesome. Do you see? We have a heavenly father who handles what comes in front of us. We need to lay hold of that and to know he is faithful. He is faithful to do it. In Hebrews 10.23, he, he says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He is faithful. He will strengthen. He gives us the strength. Of course, the enemy is going to come in and go, you're overwhelmed. There's no way you're going to last. The Bible says he will strengthen you. And I, I want to put out one encouragement as we're going here. A lot of times we end up listening to people and say, this person has an interesting idea. We really need to have Scripture so familiar to us that when we're addressing something, we're answering it with Scripture. Candy is over and over emphasizing and should emphasize. There is a power to the Word of God. Jesus said in John 5, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. How is that? How can words be spirit and life? We don't know how, but we know it's true. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. In John 15, he said, the words I have spoken to you have cleansed you. How can the spoken words of Jesus cleanse us? But they do. And we know it in practice because when we read the scripture, we walk away and we feel uplifted. We feel like we've been to a different place. We're washing off junk that has come into our minds. You know, Smith Wigglesworth wouldn't let things into his house that didn't have to do with God. The, the, when you came to visit him, if you carried a newspaper under your arm, and this is really true, he would not let you bring the newspaper into his house. And the reason he wouldn't let you bring the newspaper into your house is because it was full of the thoughts of the world. And he wanted to be focused on the thoughts of God. But we really easily focus on the thoughts of the world. We really do. We really need to make sure we're reading and knowing scriptures because they anchor us when the enemy comes in. It is, the scripture is the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. In Ephesians, when it describes the armor of God, the only offensive weapon is the sword, which is the word of God. That's the only offensive weapon. And even when Jesus was in the wilderness, and every word that came forth out of his mouth was the word of God. Everything he said was the word of God. But when he was attacked by the enemy, instead of just using his word, every single time he quoted a scripture. Every time he quoted a scripture. I can't tell you how many times I felt overwhelmed and go, nope, God is faithful. Whatever this temptation is, I can get through it. Whatever this difficulty is, he strengthens me. Whatever, he says, he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one, and he will. And if you don't feel like it, it has nothing to do with it. He will. 
your feelings may go completely in another different direction, but he still will. And the last verse is Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. His faithfulness is to all generations. So part of Jesus making all things new is that now God is no longer an if and a maybe and a perhaps. But Jesus has moved from if, maybe, and perhaps to completely faithful. He is now superseding my ability to interpret circumstances and whether something's a good idea or not. He's superseding that. He's bringing in himself completely faithful as wisdom and truth. Now, we're saying these words, but to know Jesus as wisdom and truth is not commonly done among Christians. Christians mostly want to get together and deal with apologetics. They want to talk theologies. They want to talk, do you believe this? Do you believe that? What do you think about that? Do you think he did this before this? That's okay to have some discussion on that, but any discussion that that takes us away to the side and, and detracts from the Lord is missing what God did because God brought him in to be the fulfillment of every promise. For every promise finds its yea and amen where? In Christ. And he is the one, in a way we don't understand, that brings that fulfillment and brings truth and brings true wisdom. It's going to bother us in heaven that the wisdom of this world was so crummy. It's going to bother us. It's going to bo- it bothers me right now that we exalt ourselves. You know, in the Tower of Babel, God told them to spread out over all the earth. Man didn't spread out over all the earth. He concentrated himself, got everything together, and built a tower so he could ascend himself up to heaven. We are in the midst of a Tower of Babel in our culture. Instead of obeying God, we don't obey God. We assemble all ourselves together and exalt the thing that we build. And what did God do with the Tower of Babel? He smote it and gave everybody a different language. Then they spread out to all the earth. But God asked them to spread out to all the earth from the beginning, but they didn't do it. So God is always dealing with us about pride. For some reason, we think we are hot stuff, but we're not hot stuff. I really like looking at the galaxies because it makes me feel very unhot stuffy. That's not a verb, it's an adjective. Anyway, it makes me feel very small. It makes me feel like God spoke and created something so vast. And in Romans 1, it says that by looking at the creation, we could tell two things about God. God's power and that God is divine. God's power. He spoke and created the universe. That he's divine. He is above the way we are. He is in a different place. Now, I may not be able to finish this, but I'm going to take five or seven minutes and dive into this next part. The other great part is that God gave us, to show his faithfulness, a whole slew of stories so we could read them from the beginning and the end. Now, we love testimonies that get up and talk about things that go from the beginning to the end. Because in the end, we talk back and say it's kind of like a football game that you won. Oh, we did all these things right. But in the middle, it wasn't so sure. Okay, but we like testimonies that have ends to them. Almost everybody in this room has a testimony that you're in the middle of right now. You haven't got to the end. Many of you are praying for children and you don't know what they're going to do. Many of you are praying for circumstances you don't know how they're going to come out. 
we're all praying for the authorities, and we don't know what they're going to do. At least I don't know. If you know, you need to tell me. Well, actually, I don't need to know. But, I mean, we need to be praying for the authorities. In our state, in our city, in the world, the Bible says to pray for those who are in authority, and we need to be praying for them. But all these things are things that we're going through. But God didn't say, I'm going to leave you without understanding how faithful I am. It says in Romans 15, 4, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. That through perseverance, and listen to this, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Well, when he wrote that, the Scriptures were the Old Testament. The encouragement from the Scriptures, we might have hope. So how does the Old Testament encourage us? The one thing that we see in the Old Testament is, 100% of the people who followed after God were glad they did. And... 100% of the people who didn't follow after God wished they had. In every story. Every story turns out that way. However, the stories are gigantically different. And sometimes in the stories, it looks like all is lost. And only God can come in and open the Red Sea. You know, if you... It's always good to read these things because independent of the way the Ten Commandments did it, you need to read it in the Bible. Okay, the movie is good, but you need to read it in the Bible. But the children of Israel were trapped with the Red Sea right here and with the hosts of the Pharaoh coming after them. And of course, the children of Israel, you you, you get frustrated with the children of Israel when you read the Old Testament. Have you noticed? Because they're always just giving up on God. Now, I probably would have been the same way. I'm not saying I'm a step above them, but they always are giving up on God. And when they had the Pharaoh right behind them and the Red Sea right in front of them, they almost killed Moses. Now, that is the stupidest thing you could have done. But they almost did it. They said, why? This says the people rebelled against him and said, why did you bring us out here to die? Now, God had already done all those miraculous things in Egypt, but instead of remembering that, they chose to say, what I'm looking at is swords and spears or drowning. And they yelled at Moses and said, why did you bring us out here to die? Now, we know the Red Sea is going to open up, but I want to take you back to be in the midst of where they were. Every single option was failure. There are only two options. There's that way and that way. That way is death. That way is death. It's just how am I going to die? That is the mind of the natural man. We will have circumstances in our life where every option is horrible. But God is bigger than every option. Have you got me? God is bigger than every option. Every option is just every option we see. That's all that is. It's just every option we see. God is full of options. He's got things we don't even think about. And he did that with Moses. Now Moses, instead of telling the people, God should just wipe you out, you stiff-necked, stubborn people. He didn't say that. He said, behold the salvation of God. And what did God do? God did something no man could do. He opened the Red Sea, and he opened the Red Sea. 
In the Scripture, it says multiple times that the waters walled up on the left and walled up on the right. If you were a 10-year-old kid, you could walk through and look at the fish. The water walled up. It says multiple times in the Old Testament, they passed through on dry land. Dry land, not a marsh, dry land, which means walls of water and dry land. Well, you can't do that. No, I can't do that, but God can do that. The one who spoke and created the universe, who created time, matter, and three dimensions, can make it any way he wants to, and he did. Now, if you're in the pack of people there looking up, what is the feeling in your body? I mean, I think I, would, I could have fainted probably looking at that, just the power of what was going on. But that was not the end of the story. They went in, but the Pharaoh goes, that's not going to save you. And he sent the chariots in right after him. And he said, that's fine, we'll just go in there and kill you. You haven't saved yourself. You've just walked into another place to be slaughtered. And my men are going to slaughter you. And he sent the chariots in there. Now, I just want to let you know, if you're ever fighting God, you are on the wrong side. It isn't whether you're going to lose, it's how and when you're going to lose. And the Pharaoh sent all his forces in, which is just exactly the enemy. Do you see? All of the enemy's forces still try to come in and undo, even when God's working miracles. They come in and try to undo, and what did God do? And these things aren't commonly taught. This is left out of the movie, by the way. The Bible says that God smote the chariots and the wheels fell off the chariots. So they were going da-da-da-da-da and the wheels, whomp, fell off the chariots. Just to the ground. Well, a chariot is not a chariot without the wheels. So once you have no chariots, that gave the children of Israel time to get up and out and they were bogged down. And, it, and the scripture is real interesting because the words are, so they drove heavily. That's what the scripture says. They lost their wheels, so they drove heavily, which means they were scrunched onto the ground. Children of Israel get out, and you know the story. God comes in, destroys everything that's there. You never want to be fighting against God. Now, we know the end of that story, but the part I want to bring to you is in the middle of that story, there were no options except death. In our life, we have unfavorable things here and maybe unfavorable things here, but rarely are we, death is on the left, death is on the right, death is on the front, death is on the back. I don't think anybody, well, maybe, but few people here have been in that situation. We usually just have unfavorable things. So God shows us stories, it says in the Scripture, so that we might cherish hope, so that we're in the situation where there is no way it can turn out. God can make it turn out. You see, in the end, we already know the end of our story. There's a place prepared for us. When the 70 came back from casting out demons and were so excited they had authority over the enemy, Jesus said, if you should be happy, you should be happy over this, that your names are written in the book of life. He said, that's what you should rejoice about. Why should you rejoice about that? That is our eternal home. That is the eternal place that we will be with God. We have tremendous things to be rejoiced. We don't know exactly the path, but we know where we're going. And we can talk to people about true hope and say, you may die tomorrow. It's not a big deal if you die tomorrow. You may live 50 more years, except for Don. It's not a big deal if you live 50 more years. 
if I'm here, fine. If I'm there, fine. But I know eventually I'm there. And that's the hope we have within us. So these things are just how is the path going to go? So he shows us this in the scripture. And I've run out of time, so I am going to stop. But I'm going to pick up next week with some more of these because there are things in the scripture that not only were just difficult at one moment, but they're difficulties that last over years of time. And God shows that he brings us through things that seemingly over years of time would be difficulties. He knows how to deal with that. I'm constantly reminded that even though my resources fail, his resources never fail. My resources fail quite regularly, actually, but his resources never fail. And God's call to us is, you make sure you're abiding in me. John 15, you make sure you're abiding in me, for without me you can do nothing, but with me all things are possible. You make sure you're abiding in me. What the Holy Spirit has stirred in your heart that needs to be addressed with me, attend to that. We're going to talk next time about Haggai and attending to what the Lord brings and points out to you and how important it is when the Lord brings it out that you attend to that and don't put it on the back burner. I had a bad feature in my life that I would acknowledge something to God and I would put it on my priority list, but it was never rising above priority seven. And it wasn't getting done. But I knew it was God, but I wasn't doing it. But, Robert, I was putting it on my list. Putting it on your list is not doing it. If it's God, it needs to be done. It doesn't need to be scheduled. It needs to be done. And I got my wrist slapped a little bit from the Lord on that, and I'm glad he did. For all discipline at the time doesn't seem good, but later you appreciate it. And he'll do that. The Holy Spirit works in every one of us to say between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus right now, what's the most important thing? Let's make sure we're getting that done. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing this morning, this afternoon, tonight, while you're sleeping, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, and for the rest of your life. Because if you will seek him first, he will take care of everything else. That's what it means when it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way. And all these other things will be provided, which includes food, clothing, shelter, emotional stability, how the kids are going to turn out when they grow up, whether my taxes are going up, whether they're going to make me sell my house for a freeway coming through. God handles all of that, but he's asking that we seek him first, and he will handle all of that stuff. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you are the faithful one. And you make all things new in our life. We are being changed from the way the world sees things. We are being changed from our natural strength to being able to experience you. And Lord, the wonder of the way you are and all the riches of the blessings that are in you. We ask that you help make us faithful to follow after you, to walk in the places you mean for us to walk that you be glorified, that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.